Good morning, church. My name is Dominic, and I have the privilege of serving as a community group leader here at Reality. Today's scripture passage is from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 through 27. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 through 27. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my word. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is God's word. Thanks, Dom. Let's pray together this morning that as we open God's word, that he would open our hearts to receive his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every person in this room and those outside, those joining us online, matter to you. And we do pray that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts. As we explore this passage, which is very much about the heart, We pray that you would give us a right understanding of how to view our desires, what your word has to say about our affections. I pray that we would be teachable people and that you would change us by your Holy Spirit. Pray for anyone here who does not yet know you, who's not yet put their trust in Jesus, that today they would know and understand all that you have done for us in him to be forgiven, to be accepted, to be saved. Pray that today they would. Spirit of God, would you be our teacher? Now we ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I believe it was Aristotle who once said, an education of the mind without an education of the heart is no education at all. And I suppose as modern people, we would resonate with his emphasis on the heart. We would say, yes, it's not just about my mind. It's not just about my intellect. It's about the heart. We would resonate with that. But we might be surprised with that phrase, educate the heart. Sure, we should focus on the heart, we might say, but the heart needs to be educated I think that topic leads to two important questions that all of us need to ask, and two questions I believe our text today in Proverbs begins to answer. How do we understand the heart? And what role should the heart play in our lives? How should I understand my own heart? And what role does my heart play in the way that I live my life? 
These are important questions because there seems to be, in my opinion, two cultural options when it comes to the heart and how to live your life. One option goes like this. Should I ignore my heart and follow the rules? A few of you in the room would be like, yes. This tends to be the view of more traditional culture. It's all about duty. This would be the advice of a more traditional culture. The problem, according to this view, the traditional crowd might say, is that people aren't following the traditions. They aren't following the rules. They are not following the laws. I don't care about their heart. If they would just follow the tradition, if they would just follow the rules, everything wrong with the world would be set right. But I suppose... More popularly, and in contrast to that, is a different option. It's not the question of, should I ignore my heart and follow the rules? The more popular view is, should I ignore the rules and follow my heart? In this view would be much more of a popular and progressive view. In contrast to duty, it's all about desire. And so the idea in this popular thinking is that if I can just get in touch with what I truly desire, if I can just get in touch with what I really want, my deepest desires, then that will lead me in the right path. And I need maximum freedom in the world in order for me to discover and to follow the desires in my heart. If everyone would just do that, if everyone would just follow their heart, the world would be a better place. Well, according to the Bible, and our passage in particular today, in Proverbs chapter four, neither of these views is adequate, and neither of them are correct. We need a fuller and deeper understanding of the heart. And the importance of understanding the heart is made very clear in our text. The way in which you understand the world, the way in which you understand your desires can either lead to life or it can lead to destruction. The stakes couldn't be higher. Look at verse 18 and 19. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Ignorance about these issues is not an option. Now these, of course, are the words of the great King Solomon who ruled in ancient Israel after his famous father, David. Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived, and much of his wisdom is actually recorded for us in the book of Proverbs, much of which he no doubt learned from his father, learned from his advisors, and learned from the law of God. And the way in which this book is written is very much like a parent passing these lessons on to a child. And our passage before us today is all about the heart. And if you want to know that you are on the path that leads to life and not the path that leads to destruction, you need to rightly understand 
your heart. There are three truths you need to know, and I believe this is very important, not just for our lives personally, but I believe this is very important for the cultural moment that we are in right now, no matter how young or how old you are. There are three truths you need to know according to the biblical view about the heart that are absolutely essential. And the first truth is this. The heart is teachable. What should I think about the heart? The heart is teachable. I want you to notice straight away how much attention is given to the heart, not just in this passage, but also in all of Proverbs. The connection between teaching and instruction and the heart is made clear in verses 20 to 22. My son, he says, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. I wanna draw your attention to two things under this heading of the heart is teachable. I want you to note how the heart is addressed in this passage. And I also want you to see why the heart is addressed in this passage. So first, how is the heart addressed? The heart is addressed as something that needs to be taught. It needs to be informed. It needs to be shaped. So in the context, there's an appeal made by a parent to a child, specifically a father to a son, to be attentive to teaching. This would be moral teaching, ethical teaching, and no doubt as it was in the culture of that day, the teaching of the law of God, the commandments of God that guide and direct us into how we are to live and how we are to behave. But notice he says that these teachings, these instructions are to be implanted into the heart. How does he address the heart? The heart needs training. The heart needs instruction. Some of you might say, well, that's nothing new, but actually I cannot tell you how important this point is right now. Because the idea that your heart is in need of teaching and instruction goes against one of the most popular ideas about the heart today, and that is this. The common view is that everyone is born with a heart that is just absolutely fixed. You have a core set of desires that never changes, and the journey of life is for you to, to get cut through all the noise and just get down to what your heart really wants, and then you will be free. And so the saying goes, follow your heart. So much of the advice given in a moral or ethical or a career situation or a romantic situation, so much of the advice given is follow your heart. When people say the phrase, follow your heart, it assumes that no change is required. Just find out what your heart really wants and follow that. I need you to know, friends, that this idea is very, very new. Let me explain, and I think it's important. It's key to point out that even beyond the Hebrew culture of Proverbs here in chapter four, 
that almost every single culture in history would find the phrase, follow your heart, as not making any sense at all. In fact, most cultures prior to ours would, might even view that phrase, follow your heart, as dangerous. This is very new. In most historic cultures, you were born into a community. You were born into a world that is bigger than you. You have a shared sense of purpose, and you are to learn from outside sources. You are to learn from others in order to find your place in this world and live that out. And that is why you would find in previous cultures that there was a very high view placed on older, wiser people in the community. Shout out to all the older, wiser people in our church. That's why the book of Proverbs says that that gray hair is like a crown. Highlight that verse. You would go to them for wisdom. But it's worth pointing out that in the last hundred years or so, specifically, everything has changed. It's now widely believed that what is wrong with the world is society. It's what's out there, maybe even tradition or religion. And what I need to do is to be true to myself. I need to find direction in life by looking deep within my own heart. In other words, society is the problem, not my nature. My heart is what's good. The world is what is wrong. But this is very, very new, and it did not come out by accident. This is not a time and far beyond the scope of a sermon to get into philosophy, but it is worth noting what one author, Carl Truman, does. He's a Christian theologian, a balanced Brit living in America, I might add. He wrote several books. One of them is called Strange New World, where he traces some of the more popular philosophical ideas that started out in the late 1800s and how they have come today to dominate almost everything that you experience in popular culture. One of those thinkers is Rousseau. Stay with me. It's worth quoting. In this view, this ideal free human is what later writers dubbed Rousseau's noble savage. The individual in the pristine state of nature, uncorrupted by the demands of civilized society with its hypocrisies and sharp antitheses between outward behavior and that inner voice of nature, is answerable to no one and free to be himself. That is the modern myth of selfhood that now dominates the Western imagination. And that is why practically speaking, this idea that my, my inward nature is pristine. My heart at its very core is what I absolutely have to follow. It's my authority. Everything else outside of me is the problem. Because of that thinking, there's been a shift in where we go to find wisdom. Instead of going to older, wiser, experienced people for wisdom, we tend now to think that those who are younger less tainted by the world, are more authentic. Let me quote Truman again. He says, the idea of the innate innocence of nature presses towards a cult of childhood and youth. Whereas in a society based on, say, Confucian ideals, age is to be respected because age brings with it wisdom. 
The Western world of today generally credits youth with wisdom and sees old age as corrupt, myopic, or behind the times. For example, we have in recent years been treated to children and teenagers lecturing the older generation on everything from healthcare to the environment. It's this idea that the heart at its very core is perfect and pristine and everything outside of it is noise and the path to freedom is to discover what I have within my heart that is fixed and follow it. But notice the contrast in Proverbs 4. The heart is teachable. Even what, when people talk about what comes naturally to them, which is usually what people mean by following your heart, like, oh, it just comes naturally. Well, that's shaped by all kinds of influences. I often hear the phrase, well, I just want what I want. Okay, but where did your desires come from? Have they not been shaped over the years and by different sources? And are those desires always automatically good. Usually what's meant by this, what comes naturally, is this basic idea that everything that comes from inside of me is naturally authentic and everything else imposed upon me is inauthentic. But what comes naturally to me and to you is influenced by all kinds of things throughout our lives. Let's be honest. And we have all kinds of conflicting desires within our own hearts. So who's to say? I mean, I have all kinds of desires that arise in my heart. Which one should be celebrated? Which one should be eliminated? Right? I want to be a good law-abiding citizen. And when someone cuts me off in traffic, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and show kindness and generosity and mercy to that fool. (laughs) But then there's this other thing. And it's there. And it's in my heart. And it wants justice. No, It wants vengeance. And that's why everybody secretly likes the Batman movies. Like, oh, I don't want justice. I want vengeance. Oh, but we don't talk about that. You are being taught. Let's be honest. You and I, we're all being taught one way or the other. The heart is teachable. The heart can be changed. The heart can be influenced. So the question for us, friends, is who or what is our primary teacher? What has the most influence on the desires of our hearts? Or to put it another way, who or what are our go-to trusted resources? Oh, well, I read this blog. I I listen to this YouTuber. I I follow this particular novel series as my guide for how to live my life. It's this this kind of like film genre. That's what really shapes my desires and influences me. It's this music. It's those people. I don't care which side of the spectrum you're on, from liberal or conservative, we need to ask, who is our primary teacher? Proverbs 4, and through the rest of the Bible, it is noted that the heart is teachable. The Bible never once gives you the idea that you have this fixed, pure, like a hard drive that's already full thing that you've got to just work to discover and that's going to be your compass in life. The Bible would never say any such thing. The heart is teachable. Now that's how the heart is addressed. 
but why is the heart addressed? See, some of you to this point, they're like, yeah, we need to think about what's influencing them, but you think the answer might be traditional culture, which ignores the heart, but that's not the case in the Bible. Why is the heart addressed? Not only here, but elsewhere throughout the Bible, because the heart is central to our lives. The heart, according to the biblical view, is the seat of our affections and our decision-making. It cannot be ignored, and it should not be ignored. God did not make us as pre-programmed robots. He created us and designed us as creatures of affections. That's how it works. Or to put it another way, what we love determines how we live. That's how we're wired. What we love determines how we live. And if what we love is in order, then how we live will be in order. But if our loves are out of order, then our lives will be out of order. That's the view that Proverbs presents. Notice, friends, here, the father speaking to the son is not interested in some kind of super response from the child. The, the father is not interested in mere behavior modification. I don't care about your heart. Just follow the rules. Be a robot. As sadly, often people think that is what the Bible is. This cold, callous, disconnected God that says, I don't care about your affections. I don't care about what you feel. Just follow the rules. That's how people think of Christianity. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, God himself says time and time again that he is after the heart. And no doubt King Solomon would have remembered his father David. You see, his father David wasn't the prime candidate to become king in Israel. There was another man, Saul. He was tall. He looked like a king. David, eh, eh. He wouldn't stand out in the crowd. And on the day, the prophet Samuel, who was meant to, who was meant to anoint the, the king of Israel, was looking at the lineup. He's like, no, no, no. Tall guy, yes, 100%. I could see him now, a spear in his hand. But God spoke to Samuel and famously said this in 1 Samuel 16. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is so important. In the Bible, the heart is not ignored, as some people might assume about Christianity. No, the instructions of Scripture are not cold, callous demands from a distant God. They are life giving instructions from a caring heavenly father who absolutely loves you. And so he says, receive these into your heart. I'm speaking to the very soul of, of who you are. The heart is not ignored. The heart is teachable. But because the heart is teachable, that leads to a very important second point, And it is one that a lot of people must grasp if they are to walk in the path that leads to life and not destruction. The heart is not only teachable, number one, but number two, the heart is therefore vulnerable. If my heart can be taught, 
If my heart can be influenced, if my heart can be impacted, then my heart is then vulnerable to what is impacting it. If the heart is indeed teachable and not a a fixed part of you, then this means it is vulnerable to a variety of influence. And so, note, Proverbs 4, 23 to 26. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Fascinating. Because in using the term guard your heart, the text assumes that a person is responsible for what you dwell upon. You have a choice regarding what goes in and comes out of the heart. And what happens in the heart will affect and impact everything else in your life. That's what is meant by the phrase, guard your heart, for out of the heart are the issues of life. He's saying that the decisions and affections that are fostered in your heart, they pertain to all of life. Whatever happens in your heart, it's gonna affect everything. So I said a moment ago that what you love determines how you live. And if our loves are out of order, then our lives will be out of order. And that is why immediately after urging us to guard our heart, the text then addresses the way we talk, verse 24, what we look at, verse 25, and where we go, verse 26. In summary, if we don't guard and be careful about what we love, it will affect the way that we live. Let me give you some examples of this. I think it's important to illustrate. Our hearts go wrong when we love the wrong thing, but our hearts can also go wrong when we love good things in the wrong way. Money. It's a good topic, right? Immediately stresses everyone out. Don't worry, we got a whole sermon coming on money later on in Proverbs. And don't worry, we're not going to pass the offering basket three times around. It's very important to talk about money. (laughs) Money is not a bad thing, as some mistake it to be. If I had a list of one of the most popularly misquoted verses in the Bible, it'd be that one verse about money in the New Testament. Some people say, oh, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. The verse says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's what the Bible says. Words matter. It's the love of money. So if I love money too much in an inordinate way, it will affect everything about my life. It is no secret that of all the reasons for divorce, one of the highest on all the lists is almost always, it's not pornography, it's not adultery or affairs, it's money. This obsession over money that leads to then disagreements and arguments about money 
It's not that money itself is bad, but when we love money in an inordinate way, when our loves are out of order and we're prioritizing the wrong thing, our lives then become out of order. It could even be a good thing. Some people can obsess over like a home. I want the ideal home and I just wanna, I just wanna get it. Even for Christians, is wanting a home a bad thing? No. But if you don't guard your heart, it can mean too much to you. To the point where in your prayers, you're like, God, if you don't give me that home, I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm going to shave my Bible reading down from 20 to a cool of five minutes in the morning, Lord, because you haven't given me what I want. I want the house, God. I'm a taxpayer, a religious taxpayer. I show up to church on Sunday, even Mother's Day, I might add, because <laughs> my mom dragged me here and the bunk cakes sound good. Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? When you start having a deal breaker moment with God, something else has become more important with, than God. And that's called idolatry. Or the parent who loved their career so much that they neglected their children. How many people have I talked to that said, yeah, my mom, my dad, they love their career more than me. Or the married man or married woman who says, I'm now in love with someone else. I'm married to my spouse, but I now love someone else. Let me tell you, and let me ask you, if you met that person this week, someone came to you and said, hey, I'm married, but I've fallen in love with someone else, what advice would you give them? Would you tell them to follow their heart? So many of the conversations today about the heart simply ignore the reality of how the heart works. The heart is teachable. And thus, the heart is vulnerable. We are to guard our hearts because it is possible to love the wrong things or to love good things in the wrong way. So practically, how does this work out? Guarding works in two ways. First of all, one way to guard your heart is to watch what you allow into your heart. That's one way to guard your heart. It means you watch over, you give careful attention to what you allow into your heart. What I mean by that is what you choose to dwell upon. The thing that you allow yourself so much time in your day to daydream about, to fixate on, to obsess over. For example, if you go on social media and dwell on and obsess over how other people view you, let me tell you right now, that you will learn to love the praises of people so much that you will be controlled by them. You might even make decisions or live in a certain way that gets even more praise. You need to guard your heart. How much time am I giving to this? How much of my thought life when I'm driving, I'm going for my walk, I'm walking the dog or whatever, like how much time am I allowing myself to obsess over this? It is wise to guard your heart with boundaries. How much do you allow in? What do you allow in? Or the friend that you have that, that you know is giving you terrible advice and encouraging you to do something that is totally foolish. Are you gonna continue to allow them to dominate your thinking? Like, tell me again, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. If you continue to dwell on and allow in that kind of advice, it's going to impact your decision-making. We need God's word 
to guide us as to what we should be watching out for. It could be loving the wrong things, but it could also be obsessing even over good things to where our loves become out of order and these things become an idol. That's one way to guard your heart, is to watch what you allow in. But there's also another way to guard your heart, and this has to be talked about. And it goes against everything that our popular culture teaches about the heart right now. Guarding your heart is not only about watching what you allow in, guarding your heart is also about watching what you allow out of it. This is huge. Because according to scripture, the danger is not only out there in the world, it is also in here in my own heart. Nobody talks about this, and yet it is true. Yes, I might be impacted or affected or influenced by the things outside of me, but there is also a danger within me. Parents, you know this. If you were to move off the grid, go to another state, you know, like no electricity, churn your own butter, make your own jam, and just like, you know, raise your kids on Greek and Hebrew, guess what? They're still going to learn how to lie. Some of you are like, what? Yeah. They're still going to learn how to manipulate. Evil will still arise. See, one of the ways to guard your heart is by making sure that you watch over what you're allowing into your heart. But you also need to watch over what you allow out of your heart. Let's take words as an example. There's a whole nother sermon coming on that one. One of the ways to guard your heart is not to say everything within your heart. And that is why immediately after talking about the heart, he says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Friends, you should thank God that I don't say everything that comes from within my heart. <laughs> because I used to. You might be able to blame it on all kinds of outside influences, but let me tell you right now, there's some stuff where I'm like, I don't even know if I can draw a direct line into some outward bad experience. That just came from me. <laughs> and it's not good. One of the ways you guard your heart is not only by watching what comes in, but also what comes out. Because if people are honest, you have to admit that you have all kinds of conflicting desires within you, as I said. So which ones are good? Which ones are bad? Which ones should be celebrated? Which ones should be eliminated? They're not all good just because they come naturally. There are a lot of things that come naturally into my heart that I'll tell you right now are not good. And here we have an example of how the Bible's teaching is so counterculture to the modern understanding of the heart. And I, I can think of few better passages than the prophet Jeremiah, who speaking on behalf of God says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Why doesn't this verse get any play on Instagram? <laughs> you know, with all the like the, the design and the pastels and like the mountain <laughs> Right? It's always like the inspiring verses. Mountain! What about this one? Well, because it offends modern people. Why does the Bible say that? Because we are, Scripture says, by nature and choice in sin. That is, we've all turned away from God. And as a result, our hearts are tainted by sin. This does not mean that all of us are as evil as we possibly could be. No. But what it does mean is that our hearts are all 
fallen, and broken. In fact, the word sick used there in Jeremiah is actually a very helpful term. God created us in his image wonderfully and beautifully with the capacity to love and adore things and to have affections for things. But sin has made us all sick. It's tainted that. It's affected that. Or to go even further, the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 15 In a debate with the religious leaders of the day who were so focused on keeping outward religious traditions, Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out from a person's mouth, from the heart, these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with one washed hands does not defile them. Friends, we should not only guard what we allow into our hearts, but be honest about our human nature and guard what comes out of our hearts. This is so contrary. I mean, you see it in like films. uh, There's a lot of debate about like entertainment right now being made for children. And I was reminded in a conversation with my daughters this last week of this one, it was like a Disney made for TV, one of those films. And the basic plot line is there's villains and there's heroes and the main character, she was a villain. But over time, she started kind of like slowly encroaching on the good side. And she meets this like hero who's a good influence on her and she starts making good choices. And you're like, so far, so good. But there's a twist. There's a central moment in this made for TV series where the guy from the good side says, How does it feel now that you're really learning to follow your heart? And I was like, whoa, like pause, philosophy, theology 101, kids. We're going to talk about Rousseau. We're going to talk about the word of God. Like, so what's the implication there? The implication is that when I was being a villain, the problem was I wasn't what? Following my heart. So what I need to do is follow my heart and then it's automatically good. Friends, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? And as bleak as that might sound, you're like, where are you going with this, Pastor Man? The third point's good and necessary for us to hear. I promise you. You need to recognize the heart is teachable. But because of that, you also need to know that the heart is vulnerable. But here's the good news, friends. Third, the heart is savable. The heart is savable. We need to be very clear that apart from the renewing work of God, our hearts, what we naturally desire, should not be our authority. Even though that's come to define everyone from identity to sexuality to career, the authority now is like whatever your heart wants, but we need the word of God. We need God's word to guide us. If our hearts are broken and fallen and we don't always desire what is good, I need a guide. God's word is our guide. Just because we naturally want something does not make it automatically good. So the heart should not be ignored, but the heart should not also always be obeyed. This implies that we need something outside of the heart. And that's the good news of this passage in Proverbs is that the heart is savable. A student of wisdom knows that he or she should fix their gaze on the right goal. This is what keeps the heart from wandering. And so the son in this passage is urged to set their course by focusing on the right goal. 
And so he concludes in verse 27, do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So we've said and we've learned that the phrase follow your heart is flawed because it doesn't take into account that the heart is teachable and vulnerable, that our hearts are fallen because we've turned away in rebellion and sin from God. But some say, well, the answer to this is you just got to follow the rules as if the heart never even played a role. But that thinking is also flawed. God designed us for affection, and that is why the Bible addresses the heart so much. So what is the answer? It's to set our affection on the one worthy thing that will lead us to life. And there is only one worthy thing, and that is God. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He's not only the one who made us and designed us. You are not defined by what you desire. You are designed by a God who made you and who loves you and who sent his son to save you. The heart should not be ignored, but nor should the heart be obeyed. The heart needs to be transformed. And this was God's plan for humanity since the day we fell. The prophet Ezekiel speaking on behalf of God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a right spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That is powerful. God's not saying, I don't even care about your heart. I don't care about your affection. He says, I'm gonna give you a new heart and from that renewed heart, I'm gonna give you the power of the Holy Spirit and that's how you're gonna learn to walk in the ways of life. And this all comes to true for us in Jesus Christ because even though we loved all the wrong things, even though we've sinned, even though we've turned away from God, he sent his son Jesus who walked the perfect path in our place, who loved his father and his neighbor perfectly and who sacrificed his life for us on the cross to be our substitute to pay the price for sin that we deserve to pay so that we could have the acceptance that was his right. That is the gospel of grace. And as a result of trusting in him, God gives us a new heart with new affections. In fact, we're told in the book of Romans chapter five that the Holy Spirit floods your heart with the love of God. Any view that thinks God is just some callous, like, what, I don't care, just be a robot, do what I say. Romans 5, God loves you. The Holy Spirit wants to flood your heart with the assurance of how much your Father loves you. That's good news. We're all looking for that, like, everlasting, perfect love. You're never going to find it by following your heart in this broken world. You're only going to find it in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only place. It's the only place. He's the only one that loves you so much that even when you turn from him, he laid down his life for you and sacrificed himself for you and says, this is how much I love you. I will, I will die for you so that you don't have to suffer eternal torment and separation from me. That's how much I love you and that will change your heart. You see, friends, the gospel does not ignore the heart as traditional culture says. The gospel neither obeys the heart, as progressive culture says. The gospel transforms the heart from the inside out. 
And that's why Augustine, one of the early church theologians, he put it simply and famously like this. God, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Jesus says to you today, will you trust me and receive me as the one worthy object in your life? Will you rest in what I have done for you through Jesus Christ? He is the true home of our affections. He's the only one worth centering our lives upon. And when we do that, he then gives us a new identity. He empowers us by his spirit to walk in wisdom. True change doesn't come from following our hearts, but following Jesus from a renewed heart. True change does not come from following the rules, but following Christ who leads us into the paths of righteousness. Your heart has a hunger, a thirst, and a need that can only be met in Jesus. He himself said in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. There is no better news out there. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, following your heart will not save you. We are all in sin. It will only lead us to destruction forever. The choice today is to trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. Give me a new heart. Wash me. And friend, if you do that, you will be as white as snow, the Bible says. Accepted, forgiven, loved. And for the church, we need to ask God to guide our hearts and to instruct our hearts. Allow his word and the Holy Spirit to show us what needs to go. What is it that we've been dwelling on? Where have we not been guarding our heart and allowing these other things to come in or even good things that we've loved them too much that Jesus has taken a back seat? This is a moment for us as a church to say, Jesus, I'm yours. And to love him because he first loved you. So in which areas does Jesus need to be the focus of your heart? Don't ignore the heart but don't follow the heart. Follow Jesus from the heart and he will lead you in wisdom and away from destruction. Let's pray that that would be so for every one of us today. Let's bow our heads now. Father, we confess that apart from you, our hearts are prone to wander and will ultimately lead us away from you. But we thank you today for the good news of Jesus who came and didn't just leave us to our own devices, but came to live, die, and rise for us so that we could be made brand new, a new identity, a new affection, a new direction. 
God, I pray for anyone here in this room who's not yet put their faith in Jesus. I pray that right now they would, that they would just from their seat or from the sofa at home, they would just say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on a cross for me, rose again on the third day to give me new life, to give me a new heart, to give me eternal life. Pray that right now they would trust in you from the heart so that they might have a renewed heart. And Father, for us as a church, just pray that you would have first place in our hearts. That we would just say, Jesus, you're the focus, you're the aim, you're the goal of all the different areas in my life and in my heart. I acknowledge you as such today. And I pray that as we do that, that we would find wisdom, that we'd find healing, that we would find strength, that we would find guidance. Holy Spirit, would you move now as we respond in Jesus' name, amen.